Welcome to episode number 41 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. We're creating a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney. Today's episode, we're talking about the five critical elements of a great dust hazard analysis report. To do that, we brought on an expert in this area, David Hakes, president of XP Products, LLC, based out of Naperville, Illinois. David, thanks for coming on the podcast and talking to the listeners today. Thank you. So we've done a lot of shows on dust hazard analysis so far. We've talked about the steps to a DHA with Dr. Shok Dasadar in episode seven, challenges defining qualified persons, qualified people with Jason Reason. In episode 12, we talked about prevention and protection applications with Jill Plourd. Episode 16, and different types of DHAs with Mark Hodap in episode 26. Um, so we covered a lot in the structure, the process, the people of a dust hazard analysis of a DHA. But one of the questions that still kind of remains is, as an end facility, once I get a report, how do I know if it's any good? You know, what are the, the elements I should be looking for? Is it just look like NIPA standards with a cover stapled on them, or should there be more to it? I want to bring someone who's really knowledgeable in this area of dust hazard analysis to go through this and just show us, tell us what are the, the critical elements of a, a great DHA report. So to do that, we have on David Hakes, who has 30 years of experience in industries handling combustible dust. Um, he's been heavily involved in doing dust hazard analysis. XP Products is a, a part of the Dust Safety Science membership directory and industry directory, um, supporting our work that way. And they recently released a three-part video series all around dust hazard analysis. Uh, starts with an introduction, talks about the experts involved and the whole process. So he's done a, a lot of work in this area. In the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 41, we'll actually include links to, to all, the, all those videos. And I encourage you, the listener, to go through and, and look to get some more background on DHAs. Um, in this episode, as I mentioned, we're talking about the, the five elements of a great dust hazard analysis report. So at the end of the day, what should these reports look like after DHA is done? So David, maybe a great place to jump in is, can you just explain some of your background in industry and just your history with performing DHAs? Sure, I appreciate it. Thanks for uh, having me on, Chris. It's good to get a, a, a central hub of activity going on these topics. So uh, I give you uh, a lot of credit for creating that for us in our industry. Yeah, my background started 30 years ago. I graduated as a mechanical engineer in 1986. From then on, I went into consulting industry for a couple of years. In 1988, I started working for an integrator here in the Chicagoland area that focuses on bulk material handling. And I would say almost 100% of our applications at that point involved some sort of powders and dust. So it was a matter of integrating packages for bulk material handling, rail car unloading, mixing, batching, storage, continuous processes, a number of batching processes. So spent almost 20 years in that business working on a variety of applications. And I would say that's probably the basis for my experience level to this date and, and having the knowledge and ability to really understand um, these powder processes, which cover food, chemical, you know, wood woodworking and everything in between. So there's, um, I think uh, I heard somebody say, and I don't know if you mentioned it or it was it was somebody else, but there's close to twenty five thousand different manufacturing companies here in the U.S. that are requiring this DHA by next year, two thousand twenty. So there's quite a bit of work uh, to do in that 
in 2008, I uh, went over to a, a large engineering firm here in the Chicagoland area where I was a senior level project manager. And in that capacity, I, I covered quite a bit of the other uh, part of processing, which involves uh, reaction processes, you know, thermal reactions, pressure differentials. There was boiler systems, ethanol facilities, biodiesel facilities. So I really was able to get exposed to the other side of just powder and dust handling. And in that capacity, was involved in a number of HAZOPs and PHAs, you know, as, as they're defined in, in those industries. And those are very specific reviews of risk elements and risk analysis for processes. So the dust hazard analysis is, is sort of an offshoot of that uh, node or risk-based uh, involvement. So, and then in um, 2015, I started XP Products. At that point, I, I was working um, sort of on the side uh, with a, uh, a design, which I will just call a, an explosion-proof drum kit. Explosion-proof drum kit was a device that uh, I came up with as an alternative to rotary valves for the bottom of dust collectors. And this was just more of a something that I was interested in doing. Talked to some people who were very interested in, in alternatives um, that would um, be in compliance, follow NFPA requirements, and also meet the structural requirements of the overall dust collection system. So that was developed. That continues to um, be quite active, and I've got um, a couple of good people running that part of the business for me, and um, we can talk more about that if needed. But if you go to our website, there's additional information on the explosion-proof drum kit. But the the whole DHA process, that acronym started to you know float around in 2014, 2015, 2016. When NFPA 652, 652 or 654, it was 652, came up with the initial deadline of 2018 to have a DHA. And I took a accumulation of all my background and knowledge in, in dust and processes in NFPA to um, really d- devise a process and a plan to generate uh, these DHA reports for a lot of my clients. And then uh, people out in the industry. So we come here today as a uh, another deadline approaches in 2020 for DHA, and there's a lot of activity and questions and information going around. So I'm uh, happy to be involved in, in, in that part of it and continue to learn and grow and expand. A lot of information to digest, as you know, and, and the podcasts have been a good basis of information or understanding what a DHA is and what needs to be included. I appreciate that. And I think you're, you kind of hit the nail on the head. It's about sharing the information that we need as a community to, to improve the number of DH, the DHAs that are being done, to increase the number. Um, you mentioned the deadlines, 2020, to, to have your DHAs done through NFPA 652. Um, you mentioned a couple of products there. We'll include a, a video for the XP Products Explosion Drum Kit in the show notes as well. Just so if the listeners are interested and I don't want to know more, they can go find that there. You mentioned some numbers, um, 25,000. This is a, a, a thing that I think needs to be figured out by the broader community because um, we mentioned this deadline. 
2020, there's 25,000 high schools in, in the United States. And the question is, does each high school woodshop need a DHA? There's something like 3 million farms. Does each farm that has a, a grain sort silo need a DHA? Um, so that 25,000 sounds high, but I think that might even be the tip of the iceberg. There's several thousand facilities under just the, the National Feeding Grading Association's kind of purview. So it's, it's a lot of facilities. There's a lot of work to be done. Um, and I think part of the role of, of Dust Safety Science in this podcast is to help share that information out. And I, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on today to share, again, your, your background, your expertise. So I'd encourage people to check out the videos, again, at the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 41 on the whole DHA process. Today, I really want to jump into, okay, we've done a DHA. It looks good. What does the report look like at the end of the day? So I think we call it, David and I have been working on this, we call it the five critical elements of a great dust hazard analysis report. And we have methodology and scope, material characterization, process characterization, hazard analysis and recommendations, and administrative controls and recommendations. So kind of jumping right into the start, what should be included in in the first part, this methodology and scope of a DHA? Okay, this is an important part of, uh, of performing a DHA. And I relied on you know, other people in our industry to discuss the methodology and what works. There, there really isn't a specific go-to methodology that works for everyone. It's really a combination of these methodologies. And, and I'm going to use, you know, experienced people in our industry like Jack Osborne and, and Jason Reason and some of these people. I'm only mentioning them because I, I've, um, I've been following a lot of their published documents and some of their, their PowerPoint presentations, which, which kind of break this down. So the methodology that we typically use and we define in our DHA report, the part of the DHA report, and usually it's the first part after some table of contents, is describing what the methodology is. And I'll give an example of two methodologies that we use on our end that have, have worked well and have been successful. And uh, the node-based methodology was derived more from a, a HAZOP and a, a process hazard analysis for, let's say, the chemical industry. These are well-defined uh, risk-based analysis for these industries. And we've, we've taken that into the, the combustible dust area and I developed a dust hazard analysis. So when we mentioned node-based, node-based is Easier to use when the client has PNIDs, process and instrumentation diagrams, or process flow diagrams that are already existing. So uh, the node-based will, for example, take, let's say we've got a rail car loading system going into a silo. If the client has process flow diagrams and PNIDs that we can use, we will take and develop nodes from the point of pickup at the rail car outlet through the pneumatic conveying system, and typically there's a filter, filter separation, and then conveying into the bulk silo. So that whole system there, we may break up into three or four different nodes. In each one of those nodes, we have a series of questions. And the questions, let's just assume that uh, we're, we're looking at environments uh, for, for simplicity purposes, that we have oxygen present and that we have a combustible dust. So as we look at each one of these nodes, we are looking for a credible ignition source 
and we're looking for a dust concentration level that would, would support a combustible dust event. And that's really what we do as we go through that node-based arrangement. Now, in some DHAs, we may have, and I'll, I'll just give examples, because I think the best way to really describe this is to, is to give examples. So we recently completed one for a um, furniture manufacturer who actually had pretty good process flow diagrams and uh, not necessarily P&IDs. P&IDs get into a little bit more detail as far as line sizing, equipment tag numbers, and uh, the instrumentation involved in it. But we had a furniture manufacturer that um, was really, uh, um, they were visited by OSHA and they needed to, to get this, this process going. That had maybe eight to 10 nodes for the whole DHA. So that node analysis was fairly straightforward food manufacturer that we've recently worked with uh, mixes a lot of powders and cake mixes. Uh, for a larger facility, we had 180 nodes. So you can see that it can be a, a very wide range, but the, the node-based analysis has worked well for us. And we combine that with a what-if type scenario. So a what-if scenario is an additional risk-based type Scenario. I'm not going to go into a lot of details. I think, Chris, we could we could provide a, a whole podcast on on methodology for this type of thing. But the bottom line is the DHA report should specifically call out if it's a uh, one specific methodology, such as node based, or is it a combination of a couple of different methodologies. So, uh, node based, what if, and checklist are a couple of forms, and that should be clearly defined within the uh, within the report. Yeah, I like that. And I appreciate you just sharing the range because I think that's important for the, the listeners. So if you're doing a node base, you could be on the really low end with just a handful of nodes, which are which are each piece of equipment, each piece of the process to analyze, or it could be quite large, you know, 180, probably other systems where there's even more than that. Certainly if you're doing multiple facilities with the same client, then you'd have more nodes as well. So I appreciate sharing those numbers. And then I think that's the key thing is you want to in the methodology scope, you need to say what you're what you're doing. So if it's node based, what is ch if checklist? If you're doing um, risk based or some other type approach, listing what it is, listing the references to where you can kind of learn more, find out more is probably a good thing. Then I highlight a couple things that I I think should also probably be in this methodology and scope, and I want to get your your thoughts on it as well. One is it's very good to have the PNID diagrams, the process flow diagrams. We also need to note, and you'll probably we'll probably get into this in step three process characterization, but note any modifications or things that are different in the facility than in their, you know, in their drawings. And then any exclusions are the parts of the plant that you're not going into, or are there drop ceilings that that you're not you're not analyzing, or are there pieces of equipment? I mean, we heard this with Jason Reason on a on a more recent episode, episode thirty three on three D printing applications, where he's seen examples where the printer is just completely excluded from the dust hazard analysis. So that might be all right. It also might not be all right as a as a methodology for doing a DHA, but it should be stated in the methodology that a piece of equipment that's a critical element, well, every piece of equipment that's not included in DHA should probably be listed under a, a set of exclusions in the report, just so that the, the client knows that that wasn't analyzed in terms of um, NFPA or what the, whatever the guidelines that you're specking to. Are those things that you think are important to include in methodology as well, or is there anything else that we should add there? You know, I, I think those are those are good points. Uh, the, the methodology is, in some cases, uh, and let's just say it could be up to thirty or forty percent of the cases, 
you don't necessarily have the PNIDs or the PFDs to to work with existing you know diagrams. And it's important to note and get this information from the client, whether it's the uh, engineering manager, the maintenance manager, or a combination of team members. Understanding that yes, those those diagrams that they gave you may not be representative of exactly what you're seeing out there in the field, which is important to do a site visit and look at the the systems in place. But in some cases, I, I would say lately, more more times than not, we're having to diagram some of these processes on our own. And when we diagram those, we include those in our reports. So we have nothing to go with other than pictures and nameplate data. You know, you need to be able to provide some diagrams of those those client processes so we can go through the proper evaluation during the DHA. Sure. I think that's a great summary of the th- stuff that should be involved in the methodology and the scope. You're probably right. Those are probably even big enough on their own to warrant um, a full discussion. And we've had some of that on the podcast before. But kind of moving forward, so the second thing that we sort of flagged as a critical element to a, a great DHA is material characterization, both listing materials being handled and then characterizing them in terms of combustible dust parameters such as Pmax and, and rate of pressurize and those sort of things. What kind of role does that section have in the, the overall report from your background? Okay, this, this is another one of those topics where we, can, we could spend a, a podcast on, but this is, a, um, this is obviously the, the basis for the DHA. What is the material we're dealing with? What is the powder? Characterizing that powder uh, with some sort of sieve analysis or knowing where the fines are, knowing what an average particle size is. So I'm going to keep this more of a, I'm going to get a little bit general here. And Chris, you can ask more specific questions on this, but we probably this year alone in 2019, we're, we're on our 31st DHA and, and we're either completed or in the middle of. So by the end of this year, we'll probably have, you know, nearly uh, 50 or 60 DHAs completed. Now, what I will tell you as an example, again, these are industry examples. When we go to, let's say, the food industry, the food industry is, in, in many cases, they, they have their standard products and we'll, we'll just call it flour sugars, starches, a lot of standard commodity-based powders that we're very familiar with. We're very familiar with what the KST values are, what the Pmax values are, MIEs, uh, MECs, and so on. As we move into, let's say, the wood industry, you know, furniture manufacturing, now this could be anything from furniture to, you know, particle board, to you know, a hybrid of furniture of uh, wood and plastic that you see on this decking material. There's a lot of published data on that information too, and and we usually will make sure we see samples or get samples from the client and decide whether this part this product needs to be uh, tested further or whether the published data that we have available to us is sufficient to make that determination. Now, as we get into other industries like the chemical or some of these specialty industries where you've got well, we're getting into, like you said, you mentioned 3D printing and some of these new industries that are kind of coming about where you have a combination of fine polymer materials, you know, mixed with other products. Then we have to rely on, on additional testing for those, those materials. Um, so uh, I made a, a comment to you that, you know, probably 50% plus of the products that we're dealing 
with dust that we're dealing with in our DHAs, we can readily access this material or this information on the material and apply that to our DHA. Now, to do that, you have to make sure that the information you're getting from the client is accurate. Uh, if they're just sending you an MSDS sheet on a, a product that they bought from a manufacturer, you know, in New Jersey or India or China, you need to have a little bit more information on what the particle size distribution is and then how that product's being handled in the process. Because the product starting at a, you know, a 30 or 40 mesh, by the time it's processed within the facility, it might be a 200, 250 mesh product by the time we're looking at it and determining whether this combustible dust is, is, is a problem or not in the process. So I can go on. I definitely can go on on this. So what, I'm, what I recommend doing on the, on the material characterization, and, and this does require some background and experience with performing the DHAs. The questions need to be asked. Can you give me a list of your materials? That's the first thing we ask with any of the manufacturers. And a lot of times they'll have um, a spreadsheet where we can get material names, whether it's the, the, the chemical name of, of the material they're dealing with, who the vendor is, where it's being supplied, how it's received. Is it 50-pound bags, super sacks, or is it coming in, in in bulk trucks or bulk rail? And what we'll do is we'll take that list and then we'll do the, the due diligence on our end is just to do a data search on these materials. There's a very good website, and I'll get it to you. I don't have it in front of me. It's, it's uh, based on uh, either in Germany, I think it's Germany. It's a website in, in Europe that has the best range of materials available. You can type in just about any name of a dust or powder, and it's going to give you that information. So the published data is where we start. And then we look at the hybrid mixtures within the facility. So if you have a plant with a packaging line, a mixing line, a grinding system, and some other form of process, and that's all being that's all tied into a central dust collection system, then you have a hybrid mixture of powders where that dust collector is is mixing these together, and you need to take that hybrid powder sample and get it tested and determine what you're dealing with, you know, as far as a control or mitigation strategies from a combustible dust standpoint. So there's another podcast for you there, Chris, on material characterization. Yeah. So I want to highlight a couple of things. The database there is the, is the Justice database, G-E-S-T-I-S. I usually type in just X, G-E-S-T-E-X, and normally find it. And we'll include links to that in the show notes at dustsafescience.com slash 41. A couple of things I want to kind of highlight there. So the question is really, what do you have? What are you operating with in your facility? So if you don't know anything about it, that's one thing. If it's you know, if you're grinding uh, metals and it's a grinding dust that has uh, sand mixed in, then you really need to know kind of what that is. So you can find out the chemical makeup and the particle size and that, and then look it up in a database, or you could get it tested. Um, then you kind of know you know what you're you're working with there. I do caution people a lot from using even the JustX database or um, other textbook sources because they're a wide range. So if you go to, uh, this would be a good exercise. Um, we don't have time to do it on here, but if you went to that database, typed in flour or typed in some common dust and look through, flour will have hundreds of entries. Look through, there's probably a, a normal distribution around some number, but there's also going to be extremes. There's going to be very fine kind of, if you have a very talky, very, very uh, 
you know, powdery, um, s- small particle size, you're going to be up quite high. So you'll see if you look at any of these powders that there is a big range. So the, the thing I think if you're using a textbook set of answers, and this this is probably better outlined in some of the NFPA guidelines and that, but you just need to have a higher safety factor put on it. Um, and it's generally going to end up being more conservative than you may actually need in your in your facility. So if you go to your material test, you may be able to do a less conservative, less over-conservative approach. And we've talked about that a bit on the podcast before. The other thing I wanted to mention is if you are quick to pull out the textbook and and find the answer, you may miss some of these things. You mentioned hybrid mixtures, but maybe there's some novel material or something that's you know non-obvious that you're processing. And if you just kind of just right away go to, to one of these databases, you may forget to check, oh, yeah, maybe we do have a hybrid mixture and this needs to be investigated more. So just it, it's kind of sitting back and thinking about that. What if, um, so we've seen that in US Inc where they they did testing on the dust, um, but they didn't think about the hybrid mixture case. And then they ended up uh, having an explosion of dust collector that wasn't, it was, it was sized pretty well, but it was overpressurized from what it should have been. So yeah, I guess those are some notes on material characterization. And I, I appreciate David kind of going through his process and his experience with the, you know, they're doing 30, well, 30 every six months, so 60 a year or more. It's good to see what's going on out there in the in the actual field. Anything else on material characterization, David, you think is important to kind of get out into? I'm thinking from the perspective of the uh, facility owners. They get the report now. There should be a section in that report at least outlining what materials you have and and the hazards, whether it came from a, a database or from testing. If that's missing, then you probably don't have a complete DHA. Would Would you? say that that's correct yes yes definitely uh, that is correct and that's uh, a good point that you're making there I, I think that um there has to be a, a reasonable approach to characterizing as these materials and again that's why the example i was using of, of different industries uh, most of us who have been doing this for 30 plus years we've literally visited thousands of plants during our our tenure of, of doing this now we don't want to miss something or be too um, presumptuous about what a dust, what, what that product is. And, you know, our experience level still will, will take us to the point where we find products that we're either not familiar with or aren't kind of falling into the standard, uh, let's just say the standard category of where we would classify these dusts. But, you know, a lot of clients have an issue with spending you know, $20,000 or $10,000 on testing. So we're looking at testing is very important. I am all for it. I'm not trying to minimize the, the, the value of it that gives you the, the data that's needed to uh, run the calculations, do the sizing, and come up with these, these mitigation and control strategies. But you, you, what we'd like to do is, is, even for larger plants, unless there's a bunch of exotic materials or we're dealing with, you know, really specialty polymers or, you know, metal powders or something that, that is even a hybrid mixture of, you know, metal and gases, we're going to usually keep the testing below three products. So even on these larger plants, you know, testing three or four powders for each plant that we can't get this information on is 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 a reasonable approach if you're going in and testing 10 different products for plants and let's just say each test costs a thousand dollars maybe fifteen hundred dollars that's a that's a big expense but you have to weigh that expense with with the risk 
of not having that information or coming up with a good, you know, reasonable engineering method to determine the KST and Pmax of that powder. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's a really great discussion. I appreciate you taking the time to go through it. And I think there'll be kind of more on that as we, as we go through with the, the podcast and other interviews, because I, I think it's an important topic. I mean, I've said on the podcast before, over-protection will lead to under-adoption. So if the solutions that we're putting into industry are not uh, feasible to be implemented, then they're not going to actually be, you know, be adopted. And if they're not adopted, then we're not going to actually make things safer. And our mission is to make things safer. So you can't just say that it, you, you need to have this huge expense and that if that's the case, then we need to find a better way that's actually going to work. We also can't let the facility kind of get off too easy and, and just say, oh, we can't do it because of X, Y, and Z. So it's a fine balance. And I think people on the pointy end of the stick like yourself that are out there are the ones that are making those inroads and doing that education and really, you know, have the experience to to guide the facilities to what they need to be doing to make the, them safer. I get a little bit nervous when the facilities start doing themselves, but don't have that, you know, 30, 15 years of experience. Um, and then they're doing things like looking up in, in, in databases and that, which is not what we're talking about here. We're talking about having a I almost say qualified person, but we've talked about on the podcast before, and, and David and I personally have talked about that that's not really well-defined, but somebody that is an expert, having them on your side to help you through this process is much different than trying to get through it yourself. So we are now through methodology and scope. We've talked about material characterization. We've actually talked about process characterization a bit in the sense that we talked about looking at your different nodes, um, looking at things like the dust concentration levels that may be present possibility of ignition source control or possibility of ignition sources in this different parts of the processes. Uh, was there anything you wanted to add that we really missed already on the process characterization part of the report? Just just a couple of quick comments on that item because, um, you know, the, the content of a DHA report, when we talk about, you know, the five things that, that make a good DHA report, you know, the methodology that you're using is usually... Um, generating some output. So when I say output, this this could be pictures, pictures with notations. Um, I, I find that very useful. And it sounds, um, it's a simple way of describing really uh, the complexity of a DHA. When you look at all these NFPA guidelines and the content and information specifications we're using to create this DHA, we really want to output something that can be an easy read, right? Nobody wants to stare at a spreadsheet with a thousand different lines and trying to decipher what's my low, medium, and risk for each node. We have to condense that information and put it into a format that is readable. It could be readable anywhere from the production manager working in the plant to an engineering manager to the plant manager to the director of the environmental health and safety group. So uh, I want to make that point because it's it's really um, we're seeing a lot of reports and information out there that are becoming just copy and paste of NFPA. But you know, having pictures of the actual equipment in the plant, you know, using notations on those pictures to uh, explain you know where the hazards exist or where the hazards don't exist, spell out a a, a good way of, of of adding content to the DHA. So I'm a big fan of pictures and diagrams. We're taking snapshots of PNIDs and PFDs. Then we add our own notations onto that. 
and include that in the DHA and try and make it readable. Uh, it's, it's an important part. So the characterization of the process requires a site visit. It requires uh, the due diligence of whoever's going out there and performing it to document every part of the process that is handling combustible dust. Then from there, we take that information and really look at the credible ignition sources for all those areas. Um, you know, we're, we're, we, we, it's a big jump, but that, that's really what you need to do to have the content in the DHA. And if it's just a report that is nothing but words and spreadsheets, we're going to find it hard to really get everyone on board to understand, okay, here's an issue. This is a safety issue. We can clearly see it. We can clearly understand it. It just works so much better. Yeah, I think that's a great, great point. It's about moving from the abstract, generalized concepts, safety concepts that are in the NFPA guidelines because they apply across different facilities to what does that mean for me or what does that mean for you, the specific specific facility owner? So photos of their facility, annotations, some of the concepts like ignition and source control, concentration management, uh, you know, housekeeping. If you actually have a picture... <laughs> I guess the saying is a picture is a thousand words, right? If you have a, a picture of their facility and what that means specifically on a piece of processing line, that could be tremendously helpful and probably get them reading and understanding the report a lot more than just text like you're like you're saying. I think that's a really important part. It is. It is. And I'll just emphasize one more thing on this because, you know, a lot of plants, you know, the word DHA, this acronym has been used I don't want to say overused. It, it's been used excessively in the past two or three years. And uh, kind of the purpose of doing some of the videos and information of videos is just the education on what a DHA is, what does it mean, and why it's going to benefit the plant. Um, and when I say benefit, it's just the overall increasing the overall safety of that plant. And if you can get everyone on board from operations through maintenance engineering, and the safety group plant management, you're going to have a team effort that is is looking at just, a, we're all pulling the same rope. Uh, so let's not make that too complicated. Let's leave it up to the experts to decipher NFPA and what those specifications are. But, but let's try and create a report that is readable and, and understandable for, um, uh, for the client. Yeah, I put a big star there. Why is it going to be beneficial to do this? <laughs> it's a is a huge thing. If you can't, if you don't answer that question in your report, then you're you're probably going to have a hard time, you know, getting those recommendations across. Which so that brings us to the the fourth section that we mentioned. Um, so so far we covered methodology and scope, material characterization, process characterization. On the fourth one, we have highlighted is hazard analysis and recommendations. I think we talked a bit about the hazard analysis, but and the recommendations obviously should be framed in the way to highlight the benefits. It's not just about getting in compliance, it's about making it safer at the end of the day as well. Um, getting in compliance is only one of the, the benefits of, of doing this process. On hazard analysis and recommendations, do you have any examples of, of what recommendation sections should look like or what this whole what this whole element of the DHA would look like to the end user? Sure, yes. And this is, this is really the, uh, one of the, the most important parts of a DHA is, you know, you, the client, you've spent uh, money anywhere upwards of $10,000, $30,000, depending on how big the facility is, uh, to perform this DHA, and you know, review all the NFPA specifications, requirements, 
engineering guidelines that we've gained through Chemical Safety Board and, and other agencies, and really just looked under the hood of a plant that probably hasn't had this type of of inspection in years. So we 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 like to define the hazards, and then instead of putting a low, medium, and high, to me that sounds simple, but a lot of clients will just ask you right away, okay, tell me what my, where's, where's my worst case hazards? What do I need to deal with now? And I don't necessarily like to take that approach unless it's a small plant and they have a really eye-opening issue that needs to be dealt with. But uh, we categorize the recommendations into a, um, uh, a, a serious hazard and then we'll call it medium and low. It's usually a, a, a less hazard. So the serious hazards that we identify, and, and I'll just give you an example. Think of an example of one we've recently complete, uh, completed. So I'll, I'll use a food manufacturer that is uh, part of a big company, and they're making uh, plant-based meat products. This is a big thing now. You, you see it out there, and everybody's doing it. So this is a, a larger manufacturer. And they have a series of wet dust collectors and, and dry dust collection systems throughout this plant. On top of that, they're expanding the facility and developing, uh, adding more production lines, adding more dough mixing lines. So we're, we're chasing a little bit of a target there. But getting back to the, uh, what a recommendation looks like, after we complete the, um, the report, the, uh, the area that we found most uh, serious or, or high risk was, was the dumping of the various powders into uh, the mixer. Now, they, they happen to have a minor ingredient area and table where they're hand adding and dumping onto a scale and they're pre-batching some of these miners. And it was quite uh, dusty in that area. But when we look at the overall uh, hazard or seriousness of the hazard, it was the bulk ingredients being dumped into the large dough mixer where a lot of the dust was being generated. And some of it was exposed dust clouds and some of it was contained dust within the enclosure of the mixer. So those are examples where we have dust available uh, or dust is present for the minor bag dumping. But the real issue was the, the, the large quantities of dust going into the mixer. So the recommendation on that should be, you know, a little bit more than just identifying you've got a dusty area above this mixer, you need to fix that. So we need to take that to another level. And and the recommendation, I'll use the example of dumping into the dough mixer because they, they didn't have any type of dust control. The dust control they had in place was an existing wet scrubber type system. And a wet scrubber is, you know, you're drawing air into a spray bath and then trying to discharge that air outside and knocking all the dust out of the line. But the dust was, uh, the dust concentration was gumming up the whole uh, wet collector system. So they disconnected that and there was uh, an excess amount of dust. So our recommendation in that specific instance was running some uh, calculations on how much airflow would be required to get that dust down to a level that would be acceptable for that room and pointing them in the direction of a couple of dust collector manufacturers that were maybe local to that plant to size that system and install that dust collector outside. Um, so I'm getting 
a little bit more in the weeds on the recommendation side of that, but the end of the report needs to have a list of the serious hazards. And in each one of those hazards specifically call out either a mitigation or control strategy. And that could mean, for example, uh, a rotary valve and a filter receiver. So filter receiver is typically a device that you see in many of these plants that transfers bulk powders from point A to point B. Okay. The rotary valve on the bottom of that filter receiver is a potential ignition source for a number of reasons, either the seals, the bearings, or some piece of metal can get entrapped in that device and potentially create ignition source. Now, if we don't have some method of determining whether that rotary valve stops, and this could be a speed switch on the rotary valve shaft, right? That tells us, okay, there's a problem. It stopped. Let's address it. Let's shut down the process. If we don't, we're going to build up dust and powder and potential fuel source in that receiver and potentially create a problem that was initially dealt with as a, a low-risk combustible dust issue. Now, if we have a rotary valve failing or doing something different, we created now a serious risk. So those things need to be identified in the analysis. And at the end of the day, the report has to contain enough detail. Now, keep in mind, we can't do levels of engineering. It's just, that's not the purpose of a DHA. But enough detail in those recommendations so that the client doesn't need to go to another engineering firm to, to decipher what's in that DHA report. They should be able to take that to, let's say, their local area rep for bulk material handling equipment. And all of these plants have three or four equipment reps within a 50-mile radius that are more than happy to look at this and, and then start either sizing the equipment or doing explosion vent calculations or suppression system calculations to help mitigate and control that that combustible dust risk. Yeah, I think that's a really good description. I, I get feedback quite a bit from the listeners of the podcast that the examples are really helpful. Both there may be a <clears throat> there may be somebody in a facility that actually ha- has that exact equipment that you're talking about in that example. And that may kind of spark something in their mind that's so that we may need to think about that a different way or Certainly, it helps the the people that are you know equipment manufacturers and consultants as well understand. So I think those are are of tremendous value to sharing those examples. A lot of the stuff we've talked about so far has been on the process side or the material side. The kind of uh, we'll call it I was going to say inert part of the the processes, but that's probably not a great choice of words given what we're talking about. But the non human elements of of the uh, of the process. Do you generally have any feedback on the administrative systems or are you giving any feedback to the facility on things that they should be doing with their actual um, employees or, or people in the facility on the combustible dust issues? Yes, yes. Administrative controls is uh, an important part, let's say equally important part to uh, the process side of the valuation and, um, you know, the NFPA 652-2019 edition with some examples, you know, clearly spells out uh, a review of the administrative controls. And each plant, as we know, is a little bit different. So probably two or three areas that we concentrate on are the housekeeping practices. 
you know, you'll, you'll go through these plants and, you know, it becomes pretty clear, uh, how well they're, they're keeping the dust off the floor, you know, accumulating it off the floor, the ledges, the equipment. And then, you know, in some cases we talk about these, these unknowns, you know, the levels of dust that are building up above ceiling tiles or false ceilings. That is uh, an area that needs to be looked at. And, and that does get overlooked quite a bit, but as we know from previous uh, incidents with, with explosions and, and major explosions within the past 15, 20 years, you know, all those areas have to be looked at. So housekeeping is more than just, you know, keeping the dust off the floor. It's, um, it's on uh, uh, ledges, building columns, building joists, and any false ceilings um, there. So if we do a review of the plant, we like to have someone experienced enough to, to take a quick look at the house cleaning practices and then update them on where they need to improve. And we're not auditing their programs. You know, that that's a whole nother thing. If, if you're going into a plant, you're not auditing if their housekeeping practices are in compliance. Most plants have housekeeping procedures in place. So we're not auditing their ignition control practices or their fire protection systems or their management of change processes. We're we're making note of, of how the combustible dust and the DHA review impacts these, these areas. So those do need to be included in the, re, in the report. Some of it involves um, preventative maintenance. Again, preventative maintenance could go um, reference filter bag changes on a dust collector, checking bearings on rotating equipment. That would be screw conveyors, you know, bucket elevators, rotary valves, grinding systems. You know, those are very important areas that create, you know, ignition sources for combustible dust. Hazard awareness. So, you know, do, do you have a training program or at least some reference to hazard awareness with combustible dust? Because a lot of plants will have, you know, programs in place for hazardous materials. A lot of this would be, you know, your ammonia systems and, and others that they focus heavily on the, the liquid side. Um, you know, hydrogen storage, but combustible dust have uh, now are becoming, you know, equally as important in some cases to have a, a program in place, have the signage in place, and have some internal training on what the, uh, what the awareness is and what a combustible dust um, means to them and their safety. We take a look at some of the emergency planning response procedures, but most plants have that in place. So if there is a, um, an event, um, you know, how do they handle that? How do they go through the, the, the response of dealing with a, a flash fire of combustible dust? Or if they have a dust collector that, that um, ruptures a, an explosion vent or suppression cannons fire, you know, how do they deal with that? Um, so, yes, those are all very important ignition control practices where, where, you know, that's another administrative control. And at that point, you know, you, you really want to focus on the bonding and grounding of the different systems, hot work permitting, you know, do they have electrical area classification for different parts of the plant? That comes up a lot with these DHAs. You know, do I need a class two div one or do I need a class two div two group G to, you know, deal with this area and make it safe? And that also ties in the house cleaning. If they have a good house cleaning procedure, we can sometime lighten up on the area classification for electrical. Yeah, I think that's a great overview. And as you mentioned, that's all these are really topics in of themselves. But I want to give the the listener just an idea of, of again, these critical elements of a dust hazard analysis report. 
and just what they they should expect. And I think something on administrative systems, like you're saying, certainly hostkeeping, area, area classification, hazard awareness, uh, emergency planning and response. It may seem like these are nitpicky things, but if you read any of the Chemical Safety Board major accident investigation reports, that's where this stuff comes from. Everyone is, has looked at and said this was a direct contributing a direct cause or a contributing cause. I think they have different definitions in those reports, but contributed to the severity of this incident or the evolution of it from minor to major to catastrophic. We're all because of these smaller, again, I'm going to call them nitpicky in the sense of that maybe how they're perceived, but there's a reason that they've come about. We, it wasn't just a couple of NFPA people sitting in a room coming up and saying, oh, what should we, what should we do to to be really um, nitpicky on it. They've come from actual analysis of catastrophic loss incidents and things that can stop that from happening in the future and these sort of recommendations. Um, so I, I think that's a critical importance. And just, just by way of summary, in this episode, we talked about the five critical elements of a great dust hazard analysis report. We talked about methodology and scope, material characterization, process characterization, hazard analysis and recommendations, then the administrative systems and controls, and just a review of that. I think this has been a great conversation, Dave, and I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and, and talk about it. I would encourage anyone, again, to to go check out the three videos that XP Products, and you'll see David um, right up in front of those videos, have put out on DHAs, on the, the whole process, on the experts, and um, just kind of the background information required. We'll include those in the show notes. Um, I look forward to the chance to get David on to, to talk through um, each one of these five elements in even more detail in the future. So yeah, with Dave, with that, I just want to say thanks again for for coming on the podcast, and I I do look forward to the chance the next time we get to talk as well. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, I think the podcast that that you continue to generate here is a great source of education. I use them a lot for you know we're always learning about what's going on in combustible dust, and just trying to bring this whole DHA process to the forefront is something that's not. Uh, scary for these plants, a better understanding, education, insight is always beneficial. So I appreciate uh, uh, your contribution to uh, to the educational side of this. Thanks, David. I appreciate that. And yeah, I look forward to the next time we get to talk. So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney, and David Hakes from XP Products in Naperville, Illinois. And we were talking about the critical elements of a great dust hazard analysis report. As I, I mentioned earlier in the show, I, I really appreciate David coming on. His group at XP Products has created a lot of valuable information on dust hazard analysis. Uh, so I, you can get the look at that at the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 41. If you want to connect with him and his team, we'll have some contact information there. If you want to talk to him or ask him any questions about the whole process, XP Products is a dust safety science member company. They're included in the industry directory. So you can check them out at dustsafetyscience.com slash members and find any links and information on the other members that are involved there as well. And as always, I just want to say thank you for listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. Hope you have a safe and productive week ahead. And I appreciate the work that each of you are doing out in industries handling combustible dust every day. 